Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, Roxanne, actually, you're still there, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure everything was all right. Um, did you uh, need more time, or is 15 minutes going to be enough? No, I, I think that's enough. I don't know what you wanted to cover. I know that one thing you wanted to cover. Right, right? okay. Yeah, that was pretty much all that was important. I, I didn't know if I overheard you guys saying you wanted to talk about anything else. But All right, well, let me go through my, my quick announcements real quick, and then we'll get started. Um, uh, folks, uh, thank you for tuning into this little uh, brief segment of V Radio. Um, this is to clear up some stupid rumors that have been floating around. And before we get started on this uh I want to first of all go over a little bit of good news. Um, I started a Facebook group for the Troll documentary. You guys can check that out at uh, by going to Facebook and searching Troll. Uh, it's Troll colon a documentary with a period at the end of it. You'll see a little picture of actually a troll sitting in front of a computer. You guys could click like on that page, and I'm going to be putting updates about the, the upcoming film that we're putting together for that purpose of studying uh, Internet communication and the way that it's being abused. Um, in addition to that... Uh, don't forget to join the Facebook group, Fans of V Radio, Fans of V hyphen Radio. Um, I put a lot of stuff in there. Um, and I think that was pretty much it as far as announcements for today. Uh, other than to say, um, uh, where all of this started, folks, was because somebody uh, named James Koosh, who kind of makes like a living out of harassing the Zeitgeist movement, um, put up a video saying that uh, this is what was going on. And, you know, if you want to, if you guys have problems with what's going on, I understand all of that, but don't link that jerk stuff anywhere. Seriously. You know, if you have something you want to voice, go ahead. But James Koosh hates the zeitgeist movement as much as he hates the Venus project, as much as he hates every single member of it. And he's just doing this to have a big laugh at everybody's expense. Don't link his stuff. Don't link Mario brothers stuff. Don't link these people's stuff. They're not on our side, anybody's side. So that being said, I'm sorry to have you sit through all of that, Roxanne. Um, the question and the controversy was about Exemplar Zero. Um, and I called you about this months ago just because I stumbled across it. And people were uh, – the, the the silly argument was that, first of all, was that supposedly you guys were dumping the Zeitgeist movement because of Exemplar Zero. Um, and then the next part of it was that supposedly that they were going to be sponsoring the Venus Project or – you know, paying for something, and I I know all of that is hogwash, but I want them to hear it directly from you guys. So go ahead. Sure, that you were correct. Um, our only affiliation with them is that they became aware of Jacques' work and was very impressed, and they give a lifetime award once a year, and they wanted to do that. They wanted to give that award to Jacques this year. Um, and so that is our only connection. We are not paid from them. They are, we are not um, sponsored by them. Uh, I, we, we are not doing a city for them. I, it would be nice if that develops eventually. I don't know. We haven't really talked about that specifically, but uh, we have no plans to do that at this time. I don't know what will develop. Uh, so that's about it. I don't know if you have any other questions with that. <laughs> no, that was basically, I mean, just we're going to go over the obvious here just so people can hear it because I, I, I've been learning now that in order to get this stuff to work, I have to break it down for people. So, um, A, we've just been over the fact that, um, and, and we're going to go with yes or no, even though you just said it, um, no, 
the organization uh, in question is not sponsoring the Venus Project, correct? Correct. <laughs> okay, and no, um, the organization in question, uh, let me see, basically, uh, it has nothing to do with the split between the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement. Not at all. Okay. Um, well, uh, let me see if there was anything else we needed to cover on this topic. They have a lot of your – oh, that was another thing. They have a lot of your art, and they seem to be throwing it all over the website. Um, did you – I remember talking to you about this a little bit earlier. You, you know, didn't they just tell you they wanted some stuff for an award ceremony? Right. They wanted to do a big presentation with our videos and our our artwork for the ceremonies and that was my understanding as to what it would be used for. And so we gave them information, and I was very surprised to see it on their website, especially with no no credit as to where that came from or what it was. You know, it looks like their organization did it. So I got in touch with them and told them to please credit who, who did that work, and um, they apologized for that and and did that. Evidently, they didn't put it in the film, but they did rectify that on their website right away. So okay. Yeah. So that's right. with that. Well, um that was basically what I was gonna pull you guys on for. I'll have some other stuff to talk to the listeners about just to answer some common questions that keep coming up, but that was basically all I needed you guys for unless oh, somebody else is asking, uh does this easy exemplar zero thing have any connections to the United Nations? They do have a connection to the United Nations, which does not bother us at all. I know there's this big controversy and conspiracy thing with the United Nations, but um, we understand what the United Nations is about, and if we have a, if um, if they have an affiliation with it, I, I understand what this person's affiliation is with it, and and that he also understands what the United Nations is about. Um, and if they are giving Jacques an award, that's just fine. Right. I don't have a problem with that either. Um, I just, it, I guess the other thing about this is that um, because of the issue of the United Nations and, as you said, all the conspiracies behind it, people have certain stigmas about it. But um, as has already been stated, they're not giving you any money. They're not sponsoring the Venus Project in any fashion, despite the lies that were put on those videos. So, um that was basically it, I guess. Um, thank you well, very much. Oh, go ahead. If you had a, have a little bit more time. I have plenty of time. Go ahead. A good friend of ours was hoping that we just got an email from her, was hoping we might bring up something that's been misunderstood. Um, she was talking about how people think that Jock just got his ideas from many other scientists in regards to a resource-based economy and was just going to put those ideas into the city and come up with a resource-based economy without any work on his, on his own, and they felt that they could do the same thing. Um, this is really far from the case. Jacques has worked to arrive at a total city system for about 75 years now, that whole design of the total city systems approach is really very contrary to the way even architects design today. They would have to be introduced, if you got a lot of architects together 
to even come up with a design like that other than just copying Jacques, they would have to understand how to think in these terms. And you're not taught that in school because the design approach for the city was based on the social direction. And the design approach was based on many, many years of working. And he has redesigned just about everything in it from from the layout of the city, understanding how to conserve energy, and and the schools of the city. But the technical aspects, like the maglev, is very different than anything done today, Hitchcock's design. The architecture is very different. The housing systems and how they're how they're made is very different. The self-erecting structures are very different than the way architects build today. So it's not a matter of him just taking certain things and combining them. We have literally thousands of drawings here, not just blueprints, but sketches of how everything goes together in the city and what the factory is even what what the factory even looks like in order to build the products. And besides the city, Chuck has literally hundreds of products. If a country wants to build this city, he could build it so it's more efficient than any city that's gone before. It would be revolutionary in architecture. And and it could be reproduced. It can be pulled off of molds and reproduced. And hopefully it would grow and change. The first city we would have, if it was for the Venus Project, we would have people in that first city who would be working towards improving it and more automated systems for the next city. But what I was getting at is you can sell the city system to other countries, but besides the city system and what's in the city, how it's built, and each product, Jacques also has hundreds of products that the city can produce within the monetary system to exist. If, if say, a country approached us and wanted to do it for for their country to in, to um, increase the standard of living for their their people, we would also have products that that city can turn out to make it sustainable, so they can go on and products that are non-competitive products. So, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. All right, no, that's totally fine. I can extend the show as long as you guys want. Um, as far as the addressing any of these issues, um, I did have a question about cities that came up earlier. Um, now, it is the intention to have a test city first to test all of these designs before we try to incorporate them anywhere else, right? Well, it would. Every city would be a test city because you'd always be improving things. Universities. Yeah, South right, right. and University City. They'd also be university cities, but they'd be one big research and development city as well. And within the first city, we, we would want to have, if we were able to, have a theme park of the of the distant future so people could see where we could go if we continue, continue along those lines and continue into a resource-based economy. No, I understand. There were just some paranoid theories that you guys were just going to try to incorporate these things globally immediately without testing them first, which I always knew was ridiculous, but I wanted them to hear it from you. Well, any new products always are – there are always problems with new ideas and new products. Not that the city would 
you know, we could build the first city with um, without having to build everything new. We could build the first city and then work on other things. Because just like the flying machine, it took many times in, ev- in the evolution of the flying machine to perfect it. Right. Um, the other question here about Exemplar Zero that came out of the chat room uh, was the issue of... Uh, I guess they're going to try to build a sustainable city in Mongolia. Have they approached you guys about that? No, they talked to us about maybe doing a city, but there's nothing definite. It's just talk, and we haven't heard from them in a long time. And I I honestly don't know what's going on with them. I don't keep up with them. The only thing I know is that the award, and even that's talk now because we, you know, it hasn't happened. So... Um, I know they want to do cities, and they were very taken with jock cities. So, you know, but we're talking to people in many different places. We're talking to people in Africa. We're talking to people in Haiti now. There are other possibilities. So I don't know what will develop. All right. Um, That was basically it. Uh, Was there anything else you guys needed to address? Yes, I would like to say, give people a rough idea of what I work on. Go for it. I work on hydroponic gardens that sit in any house and you can grow your own food. I did that for, what's his name, Don? Yeah, and this is many, many oh, years yeah. ago. And then I did uh, an automobile with a motor in the middle of the wheel, so you don't need to transmit the power. About 60 years ago, right? Yeah. That was 32 moving yeah. parts. Yeah, 32 parts. The Volkswagen has 5,500 parts. Then I did a storage system for tape recorders in the old days, which was molded all in one shot without, it was only consisted of two parts. Mm-hmm. And then I did transport system for the new city. Uh, most cities we went to have buses and trolley cars, and they stop at the red light every corner spewing fumes into the environment. My city has a circular conveyor all around the city, 30 feet off the ground, so it doesn't need to stop at every corner. You understand? Traffic can travel underneath it. And but that, the, the mad lab is very different, too. The and way I call designed. that a transveyor because it moves around, up and down, in and out. It moves radially, circumferentially, and in form of an elevator. Then I worked on a heating system for ovens in which there's a pinnacle sticking up. Then I worked on, you you want a rough idea? Well, you know, the background, Jack has some of his things on the background sheet um, on his, uh, you know, hundreds of medical devices. Just, there's so much on his background sheet that you can look up. Right. I don't think you've you know, many of them are here, but... Now, um, Roxanne, something else that they're kind of uh, pointing out in the chat room, and I just gave you an example of the link. Uh, Exemplar Zero has, like, a mirror of your website going. Like, literally, it's uh, www.exemplarzero.org slash the Venus Project, um, which made it look like the Venus Project is part of Exemplar Zero. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we were just bringing it to your attention now. Um... No, I'm, I, I've seen, I've seen, let me see if I've seen that or not. I, they have a link to our website on their website. Right. 
talking about? Well, there's well, there's an, uh, basically I I just I dropped it in the chat actually on your your Skype. Let me go ahead and bring it in here, but I think I might have had it on the wrong one. Here we go. But this link here, um, basically, when you look at the URL, it's www.exemplar0.org, the Venus Project. Um, and there were people, I guess, that added to the confusion and made them think that, you know, the the Venus Project was now part of Exemplar Zero. But no, not. I, I'd have to look at it. Exemplar Zero. What was it? Slash the Venus well, Project. If you click on the chat, I just dropped the whole link in there, and you could just click on the link, and then it would take you to what we're talking about. But it's your website, but it has exemplarzero.org slash the Venus Project as the URL. I don't have to, I'd have to look at that. The only thing I know is their website where they have our pictures on it, and then they have a picture of Jacques to the right um, with our website on it. Right. But I'll have to look. Okay, well, that's fine. Now that we, we've gotten that out of the way. Um, all right, it's, folks. Well, the whole list of, of designs and inventions here that he was going to go over, but in going over them, you know, you just give a lot of things out, too. So Right. You know. And if you do, you know, people say, oh, it should be open source. But if we give a lot of things out and they get patented, we we have to pay somebody else to use them. You know, we we live in a predatory system. And he Jacques has had so many things taken from him in the past that he is very hesitant. Right. No, I completely understand. All right. Well, was there anything else? Well, I worked on many different things, from 3D movies, yeah. 3D television, 3D X-ray machines without the need for glasses. That was or about anything. 60 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, about 60 years ago. But uh, I've done so many things, products and all that, uh, household equipment, surgical instruments, uh, many different things. And in the aircraft industry, everything I thought of belonged to the aircraft industry I work for. They don't cite the individual inventors. And another thing they asked me to do is if I can prevent tires from wearing out on airplanes. So I designed a set of vanes in the middle of the wheel. When the landing gear came down, the wind turned the wheel around so it wouldn't wear out. A lot of rubber wouldn't be left on the runway. The wind would turn the wheel before the plane landed. And that was very little additional weight to the airplane. And uh, then I designed a new type of wing structure, about half the weight of conventional aircraft wings. I did this for the Army Air Force at Wright Field, Dayton, Ohio. It was called the Buck Rogers Department. <laughs> but you did a lot of um, flying wings for Northrop. Oh, a lot of flying wing layouts for the Northrop Aircraft Company years ago. The guy that hired me said the first three weeks I was there, he got more suggestions than the history of aviation. Just what he said. So right. I'm just telling you, I've worked on many different things, but they don't all belong to me. They belong to the company I worked for. And even if I thought of an idea at home, it was their property. So we're just saying that because um, we were told that, you know, a lot of the members think, well, they can just have other just get other people to design certain things and this is could be true but they they don't have the design knowledge for this type of system which Jacques would would 
let's put it this way. If we were to, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but if we were to do a city in, say, Haiti, which we're talking to somebody now, then Jacques would want to get with the university students, besides the engineers and architects that have signed up on our list and the engineers and architects in, in Haiti, he would want to work with the students in the universities and teach them how to be creative within the field of architecture and thinking along these lines and thinking outside the box and giving them the criteria to think with to be more sustainable and efficient and total city systems approaches. And he would assign these students to be to participate in certain aspects of the city as well and and work with them with the ideas of a resource-based economy so he didn't plant all those ideas within the, the college students. And they would find it fascinating, I'm sure, to work on a real project like that. So he'd give the kids a shove towards this direction. So that that would be the plan in regards to working with other with another country as well. So we'd implant the ideas of the Venus Project and the resource based economy. Yeah. Right. I remember hearing about the thing in Turkey and Saudi Arabia and places like that. So. Yeah, when we went to Turkey, the um, the university the the person yeah well he was actually the owner of the university he owned the bank too but. He wanted to send his students to to us here in Venus. Uh, and he used to send his, his graduate students and his seniors abroad. It was amazing. And um, he wanted to send them here to the Venus Project to learn about this. He also wanted to do the film, but then um, the mortgage crisis hit. And, I mean, the, the money crisis hit there really hard, and he couldn't follow through on any of that. So that was a shame. Okay. Um, people are demanding to know whether or not you've heard anything from Peter yet. No, we haven't heard anything no, from I Peter. Haven't. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. Um, yeah. People have been people have been asking me that a lot, folks. So I'm just gonna spit it out for you. I talked to Peter the other day, and he said, at least for the like right now, he, he does he has no intention of getting a contract with the Venus Project at this time, and. Uh, his last radio show is his position on the topic 100 percent um okay so, well we are we are moving forward you know we always have been right that's i didn't say that to, to bring it up as a regular topic i'm just trying to answer the question because a billion people are asking me and it's i was like that's what peter said his position is he's not contacting the venus project the zeitgeist movement is moving in another direction they want to include other things that they weren't doing previously and that he, his last radio show, if you want to know his feelings on it, that's it. That They haven't changed. So I didn't bring that up to, to put it on you. I just wanted to announce it for people because more people sure. are going to listen to this broadcast. And I literally get pelted with that question at least 50 times a day. So, <laughs> um, all right, guys. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to bring up? Not with me. Is there anything? Well, there's a lot of lies being. Oh, you're being heard. Yeah, we can hear you, Jacques. You know all that. Yeah, no, that's there's there's just a lot of misunderstanding out there, and um, yeah, and I I don't want to dwell on all that, you know, because we want more say in what's happening. Um, We seem to become 
the egotists and the the um I don't know. And there wanting to control the control. We're the control freaks because we want to be able to say something. All I wanted Peter to do was cooperate. And he just went ahead and did what he thought he can do. But he doesn't have enough experience to do any of that. I want to invite him over to give him a course and how to reach children, how to bridge the difference between nations rather than kill. He doesn't have any of that kind of information. And I wanted to share it with him. He said, oh, I got the ideas of being trying I think I can do your movie without you. Now, he can't possibly do the movie without me. He wouldn't know what the buildings look like. He wouldn't know how we change people. He wouldn't know what the school curriculum was. And that's why I asked him to come out here. He did not come out here. He just took it on his own, and he went in his own direction. That is not cooperation. Yeah, I mean, we really weren't consulted in much of anything through the whole thing, not at all. So it, it just got too tough to have somebody else represent us that was going off in their own direction. We need to represent ourselves. It, you don't go to another organization and have them be your activist arm, you know. No, no, and yeah, and I know we, we covered all of that and everybody is listening to that show. It's actually like now it's the second most listened to show in B radio history. Um and I, I just not to cut you off or anything, it's just that it I we know sure. that it just people were bothering me to know what Peter's position was and so I told them. I don't whether I agree with it one way or the other is, is secondary. You know, I've already made my statements on my feelings about it. It's just that I I'm friends with everybody and I'm trying to stay that way. Um, but I'm going to continue promoting the Venus Project direction, and I'm, you know, some of the stuff that Peter wants to do with the Zeitgeist Movement appeals to me. But I was, I was always working in all kinds of activist groups anyway. But this radio show is generally centered around the Venus Project, and every now and then I promote other work too. So, um, but that's basically it. I was just trying to think if there was anything else that I've been getting crammed on constantly because people want my, you know, the answers and they think I have them. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm getting them for them, but I, I want to put it all in one place so that I didn't have to, I can now just give them this link and not have to get in a big long discussion with everybody who wants to know. Um, so that was basically it guys. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you have, you know, you know, I, you have my support and I look forward to doing more work towards the resource based economy. If anybody feels that they have any, pertinent questions they want to ask, I'd be happy to answer any questions. All right. Well, let me see if there are any. Anybody have any questions for Jock while he's on, online? Look in the chat room now. Uh, oh, uh, are you aware of strong copyleft licenses which would prevent anyone from patenting your designs? Copyleft licenses? Apparently. Um, well, I, I, all I can tell you is that people have taken our buildings on our photographs and raised funds for their own projects. Are you familiar with that? No. Well, no, I mean, I've, I've seen that happen, yes. Um, the strong and, and left copyright, apparently, they're just explaining it. The strong left copyright apparently makes it so that um, nobody else can patent your devices, but I guess they would be available for people to use. I don't. Know. There's enough suggestions in there, mm -hmm. so they can. Um, I, I don't know. I know there's ways of sending yourself something, and um, I, I don't know. You need attorneys to protect you. Yeah. Too. I don't know. 
They're asking you to clarify the difference between an RBE and the Venus Project. What's the difference between a resource-based economy and the Venus Project? The Venus, I developed the resource-based economy uh, during World War II because I felt if we didn't have enough money, the next question was, do we have the resources to make airplanes? We only had 600 first-class fighting airplanes. The Germans were t turning out 80,000 planes a year. And so my question was, I don't care about the money. Do we have the aluminum to be able to turn out those airplanes? And since people brought their pots and pans and gave them to the government freely, the aircraft companies sold the airplanes to the government. They didn't use that aluminum and deduct it. That's where I got the idea for the resource-based economy. So instead of asking how much will it cost, do we have enough resources to build cities for all people? Yes, we do. And what's the difference between that and the Venus Project? What's the difference between a resource-based economy and the Venus Project is what they are. The Venus Project is how to make the resource-based economy work, all the details. Instead of loading one cargo at a time off a ship, we just disconnect the whole cargo system. In other words, we work out how to house everyone on Earth, not in a hundred years, but the next 30 years. And it's also very much a value system um, that the, the Zeitgeist movement doesn't go into that much. We're making a lot of tapes here now that go into more of that detail that we're going to be putting out. It's, um, it's a different way of thinking. A lot of times, the pre just the present presentation of a resource-based economy isn't enough at all, and just saying that the values will be changed within a resource-based economy. When Jack talks to people, generally, he starts with the change of values and dissecting the values. He's more concerned with the values, and the resource-based economy comes along usually in that conversation very later on in the conversation. So it's, it's much more comprehensive. The way of thinking, the resource-based economy is not to build cities for people. It's to change the values so they are not judgmental or warlike, and they learn to take care of nature and one another. It, it eliminates in the schools bigotry, prejudice, and all the things that are harmful today, which schools do not deal with. Otherwise, you wouldn't have three million members in the Ku Klux Klan. It gives you the value system so that city can perpetuate. If you bring in today's people in a nicely designed resource-based economy, you're going to have the same problems. Unless their values are reoriented. Now, they don't reorient to my value system. They re reorient to the carrying capacity of the environment. If you have a population that exceeds the carrying capacity, you're going to have territorial disputes. Do you understand that? It isn't Fresco that decides anything. It's a survey of resources. What do we have? How many cases of heart disease, cancer, cystic fibrosis, and designing hospitals to meet those needs, not just put up a building? Right. It's a very involved system. They're asking, is it the, the four stages outlined on the website? No, those four stages don't lay out a Venus project. Those are just projects we'd like to do to further this direction. If we had funding, we would take them in those stages. But it's mostly the educational process that that we're trying to get out there. And the film would help the general public in that. That's what we do in our tours. 
Yeah. The tours are on the website. I mean, those tools are out there. Yeah. We try to give people tools to work with, to think with. In other words, you're not given that. You're trained to be an engineer or a chemist or a biologist or an optical expert. If you're not given the generalist overview of the earth and our dependence on the environment and not to destroy the rivers and the and the and the oceans and point poison them with toxic materials. We show them the interconnection of all things. That we have to learn to share our resources with other nations. And we have to learn how to devise newer systems of housing, not that would take five hundred years, that can be done in ten years. We can house everybody on earth in the shortest possible time by using prefab techniques. Um, Jock, have you read the book Critique of Pure Reason? Of Pure Reason? Have you ever read that uh, book? The title would tell me not to read it. <laughs> There's no such thing as pure reason. You cannot design the ideal city. People think I'm a utopian. I myself believe that the city I design would be a straitjacket to the kids of the future. They'll design their own cities. And you can't design the best laptop you can design the best laptop you're able to at this time. But three years from now, it'll be smaller, lighter, faster, and have much smaller chips in it. But no one can point to final frontiers. That's all those concepts are ridiculous. What will the future be like? What time in the future? You right. know what I'm saying, Neil? Oh, yeah. I've told people that before when I'm trying to answer questions about this, is that there's so many different phases of the future, you know, in different situations that it's hard to answer them. But yeah. Um, now we have a – let me see. There's another question here. Um, I guess uh, they, they keep referring to this list that apparently uh, you had that you would have liked the Zeitgeist movement to adhere to different things that you would want them to do. Yeah. Um, how would yeah. they go about getting that list? I don't know what list you're talking about. Things uh, I would like them to do. Well, we have something on our website in terms of what people can do or help us with. Um, we have book lists. We, you know, I, recommended reading, recommended yeah, subject matter. Yeah, that's been out there for a while. But um, I, I don't exactly know what list they're referring to. How do you get from here to there? That's what most people want to know. How you get from here to the future. And the way you do that, people have to lose their homes, their cars, their jobs, and not be able to get funding for living and medical care. That's when they begin to question their system. Once they lose confidence in the people they elected, they'll be looking for something new. I'm sorry it takes a catastrophe to wake people up, but well, that's been the history of civilization. Well, from now until then, we need to get this information out there. So yes. That's the important thing. Right. Now, let me see. Somebody is asking, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I've never been a member of the Communist Party. Communism uses money. It has banks. It has armies, navies, prisons, police, and social stratification. We don't have any of that. Communism right. doesn't go far enough, really. And it was basically just uh, that was the reason why is um, uh, G. Edward Griffin stated that you were a member of the Communist Party and 
that you left when they wouldn't incorporate your technical ideas, which is like a total. I was like, a member of technocracy. Right. No, I, I. Yeah, I know what you mean, and I. I I've since then decided to I'm going to debunk it, but. <laughs> technocracy has nothing to do with communism. And you had a brief conversation with the Young Communist League when you were a kid, and that was like. Yes, it. I did. I was right. with socialists, with Nazis, with technocrats, many mm-hmm. different types of people. I converse with many people. Mm-hmm. Right. I was never a member of the Communist Party because I did ask them how they would prevent corruption if they got in. They didn't have an answer. I said, how would you house the millions of people? They said, well, when that time comes, we'll work on it. I said, you should work on it now. All those things, how to prevent corruption, how to distribute goods and services. They had no workable plan. They just had a rough theory. Uh, and I asked the technocrats the same thing at the time. At the time, I did join the technocrats, but I resigned because Howard Scott said, the Oriental mind can't grasp technology. He's, I asked, how come there were no blacks in the section? He said, let them start their own section. The application had race on it. So I resigned because I couldn't support that. But I did like the application of science as a social system. But they had no blueprints except the continental hydrology. And they did use Jacques' designs. At the time, Jacques had done a prefabricated house out of aluminum that went together ten men. Eight hours. Eight hours, yeah. And um, That was in the old days. Today I can do it in a couple of hours. And they did show that house on the front of one of their um, magazine publications. I was trying to think of. Yeah. So and they also showed Jock's flying wing on the cover of their publication as well. Right. Um, this Jock, was many years ago. Yeah, that house that Jock designed was produced. The Trend Home. The Trend Home. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's on our website. We have right. some prints and blueprints of that there too. I think. An old brochure from that we have. Okay, the question here is, ask Jock if he doesn't think that the transition consists of creating the way to feed and house people when the system fails with the open source technology. I guess they're asking if during the transition we're going to make an effort to feed and house people, you know, while we're, you know, still getting ready to build the cities. Yes, Jock worked on all that, too. I wanted to use the North and South Pole. Are you familiar with that? To store surplus food, dehydrated by all the nations. So in case there was an earthquake in Japan or any place where we needed food immediately, you don't need to go to school and ask them to rub thing in a box of oatmeal. What we would do is immediately access that stuff at the polar regions, dehydrate it, add water to it, and provide food during any emergency. I worked on all those things, not just the design of cities. And he also worked on extruded certain types of food, so you can produce it very quickly and cut it up and and give it to people when they needed it. All sorts of processes for food and quick housing for for emergency during the transition. Okay, yeah, that was basically it. Um, see if there's anything else in here. Uh, okay, I see it. Um, are you guys going to be producing like uh, materials, like obviously for the spreading of awareness? For your own activist organization? We've been doing that for years. Yes, we're doing a lot more of it, too. We're gathering a lot more information. There's there's so much more we want to do. And we need help with it as well. 
you know, we there's only a couple of people here, but we have all the information here. We want to put it together in different forms. We want to do it as an internet course too, and people who join with us too, we want to give some of it away for free that so they can learn from it. Right. So we'll more of that as well. Okay. So basically, I guess the consensus that I think some people here missed as far as what was said during like the TS3 meeting when you came on was that the 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 brass tacks of this is if somebody's in the zeitgeist movement and they still want to help you that you're okay with that but they've got it you know they've got to join your organization and if they're going to use any of your materials then all those materials need to be just Venus Project materials without anybody else's stuff on them. Um, I've heard of anybody else's material on it. Right. No, he's talking about something else. Um, if the, excuse me, and I, a lot of the zeitgeist movement people wanted to still present the Venus Project material, and that's fine with us if they have, like, a separate poster that's, that doesn't have the Zeitgeist movement on it because they're not, you know, representing us anymore. But if they have a separate poster, if they have a flyer that just talks about the Venus Project from our, our materials and has the Venus Project website on it, they, this is fine if they want to send it out. And we've had some people say, well, that's unfair. Well, no, this is just because people have been writing me and writing me and saying we still want to talk about the Venus Project. Can we still do this? So I said, yes, sure, but just as much, just as long as it doesn't have, you know, like Greenpeace on on a flyer for the Venus Project. As long as it doesn't have Greenpeace's website on it, just the Venus Project website, so it doesn't get confusing. What were you going to say? The woman No, I've mentioned that before. Yeah. Yeah. On here. I just want to know the source of it, that's all. Peter Joseph reads from the book the best that money can't buy. And people say, boy, he came up with wonderful ideas and ways of solving problems. He did not do that. Right. Yeah, we, we we went over all of that, too. I guess I was looking for anything that was new that was coming out of the chat, but a lot of it is basically the same stuff. And I think that Basically, there were a lot of people who were just kind of waiting to figure out what they're supposed to do now or where they're going. And um, check you know, this project. Check with the Venus Project. If you want to know anything, we're responsible for it. Uh, the Zeitgeist Movement had no social plans. They pointed out the shortcomings of the banks and the Federal Reserve System, which is very good. But then what do you do? What do you do with that knowledge you have? It's not enough to criticize a country unless you offer possible alternatives. They were offering the Venus Project, yeah. Part of it, but without cooperation. Yeah. Okay. Without cooperation with us, really. This is a question that sounds kind of advanced technical, so I'm hoping I can get it through to Jacques. Um, What does he think about functional variability... The class of the operant is determined through contingencies, but the specific instance is random. What does he think about that perspective? Well, those are words. Those are words. I'd have to have a referential description. I'd have a description of a physical way that he's got in mind. Words can go in any direction. Well, you don't think there's any random anyway. No, there's no such thing as random motion. If you take a bunch of steel balls and drop them on the table and try to predict where they'll roll to, they say, well, that's random. It's lawful, but we don't have the type of computers today that can give us that information. 
I'm going to go ahead because I can identify the person. I'm going to go ahead and bring them onto the call real quick and see if they can elaborate. Um, oh, maybe I'm not. They're making noise. <laughs> Frank, if you want to be on the call, then you're going to have to turn that off. Oh, all right, go ahead and continue, Jock. Random motion is motion that you can't predict. But nothing is random. Everything is lawful. If you were to drop a steel ball on the floor and it bounces all over the place, you say it's bouncing randomly. It's not. If there's a slight curve in the floor, it moves a little to the left. If there's a curve in another direction, it bounces that way. Depends on the density and the hardness of the wall, the temperature. There are, everything that happens is lawful. A sailboat does not sail. It's acted upon by the wind. A ball doesn't roll down a hill. It's moved by gravity. So all things people do is based on their environmental exposure. There's no natural thing that moves naturally without being affected by other things. Right. Let me see if he just elaborated on it here. Um, he says he can't get it across succinctly, or he said he can. I'm going to try to bring him on again. This is what happens every time I try to bring him on. Yeah, it's going to turn that off. Okay, I, I don't know what that noise is. But it's not doing it with everybody, so. All right, well, anyway. Um... I guess what I'm going to suggest, Frank, is maybe you should email your question in because it sounds pretty complicated and it would be difficult to get it, you know, that across on the air. Um, now, one question in here is what can people do for the Venus Project in distant countries? I presume that your activist work is going to continue to go on in other countries, right? Yeah. Yes, on our website, there's, um, um, let's see if I can... Under Get Involved, there's a global activism team, things that we're looking for and working on immediately. And um, if you'd like to take a look at it and help, we'd be glad to have you do that. Well, here's what you can do immediately. You can get the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy. And you can go to meetings and read chapter by chapter in discussion. And when you get through reading that book, you'll have a pretty good idea. You'll notice that our cities have no parks, but the whole city is a park. You'll notice that everything in the city, there's no automobiles in the city, there's a built-in transportation that can take you anywhere in the city in a few minutes. That all these buildings generate electricity, there are generators on the rooftops, all the windows are photovoltaic. In other words, if people want to fight us, all they have to say is, well, you never answered my question. You have to know how to ask a question, too. If you say, what will people do? I don't know what individuals will do, but I know that they'll be schooled in our relationship to nature, not some fictitious imaginative story of how the earth began. They would be studying nature, how to grow food, how to relate to other people, how to find meaning in their own life, and they wouldn't need money to go to a university. They can go to any school, study anything they're inclined to study. Um... I guess they're they're asking again. Like, I guess I, I keep trying to tell them that you've already answered this, but I'm going to go and ask you again about the issue of building in Mongolia, um, and just to define that you guys just we know nothing about that. They have not talked to us about that. Okay. Mongolia, the cities would be different due to the temperature, and if there's earthquakes there or floods, we would have to take all that into account. No, they're talking about the Mongolian project that um, Sasha has. 
Well, I don't know yeah. enough about it. Yeah, I, I know he's working on that, and we'll see. Nothing has developed. It may, but um, we'll see what, what happens. We're not involved with negotiations with that. Right. Anyway, it's it's a different city for all different areas, and depending on the city function, they don't all look alike. Yeah. They're not cookie cutter cities. They vary. The city will be shaped by the expression with which it serves. First, you design a production method, then you cover it, and that's the way the building will look, not what Fresco likes in appearance. Now, there's a question here. I'm going to do my best to pronounce this word. Um, it basically says, does Jock believe in the Bernelli or Bernali principle? The uh, principle? Fluid dynamics. Apparently, you made a statement that you didn't believe in it in one of your videos, which is why. Well, I accept some aspects of the Bernoulli principle. The Bernoulli principle states that air moves over the top of an airplane wing with a higher velocity and creates a decreased pressure. So I built a model and deflected the air upward. To deflect the air upward, the wing takes a downward load, if you know what that means. The curvature of the wing to set the air up above the wing to create a partial vacuum has to take an impact load. Air moving at 150 miles an hour does press on the leading edge of the wings, so you get nothing for nothing. I'm trying to show that you can't create a vacuum by just high-velocity air moving over wing. That's the only aspect of the Bernoulli principle that uh, one of the most important aspects that I don't, don't agree with. It isn't that I don't agree. I built a model and showed the leading-edge pressure, which was equal to the vacuum it created, so there was nothing gained for nothing. It's just that area of the Bernoulli principle that I disagree with. And the chief aerodynamicist at Northrop said, if you don't accept the Bernoulli principle, I don't even want to talk to you. That's not a scientist. Right. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, actually. Now that you now that you bring that up, I remember you talking about it, and it puts it more into um, uh, perspective. But um, I guess he's saying, so how, do you, so how does a plane fly, then, if you don't believe in the Bernoulli principle? Well, it is the Bernoulli principle that makes a plane fly. It's Bernoulli interpretation of what makes lift on the wing of an aircraft. So I changed the design of airplanes with a flexible wing camber. You can take off with a Gottagen and when you get to the optimal or near optimal performance you can move to a Clark Y wing section and then when you get to hard high speed you, you use a different wing section. Since the wings expand in the middle of the wing. There's a hydraulic cylinder that expands so that the wing camber changes. You can't understand all this with language. You have to see diagrams and other things. The Army Air Force patented my wing. So did Northrop Division of Douglas Aircraft. Now, um, there was another question here, and I, it, it's kind of a morbid question, but I do see why they're asking. If something happens to you, Jacques, and you pass away, I assume there's some kind of plans on what to do with your blueprints. and Yes, who's... Roxanne can steer the general direction. Okay. People in the right direction, tell them where to go, what to do, and how to go about it. But the engineers themselves will design the bracing and the structures. Because I can't do that immediately 
because by the time we get the Venus Project out, the drawings I make may be obsolete. If there's new types of structural elements, we will use that. If there's a, our concrete mix, for example, has a certain type of particle in it, which causes air bubbles to form in the middle of the concrete, so that your structure is very light, your concrete is very light, but very strong, but high dense, density concrete, where it touches the mold. But the midsection serves as insulation and no condensation. And the concrete mixer is so coated with acrylics so that there's no outgassing. And the concrete gets stronger with age. If you make a building of wood, you cut down the forest, the building can be hit by lightning and fire can occur, and, and then termites, and then you have to spray the building to kill the termites, and then vent it into the air. We don't have any of that. So you have to study the buildings, the building methods of the Venus Project. Now, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. What's that? No, I said go ahead. I apologize. I thought you were done. Go ahead. Well, there's many things about the Venus Project. For example, all of the buildings have a rail above and below the window. A rotary brush pole grows around and cleans the first floor, then it slides down and takes the second floor and it cleans the whole building. I don't want people hanging out of buildings. I don't want people in space stations. I would like to have a facsimile on the Earth where you can move things on the Earth and move them in outer space. You don't need people in space. You've got to bring food and water up there. So you make a facsimile unit on the Earth, say at Cape Canaveral, and you manipulate the variables inside the ship. If you want to do an experiment in chemistry in a gravity-free field, gravity-free place, the only way you can do it is by moving the equipment. But bringing people out there is a hell of an inefficient method of doing things. Right. Well, it looks like this person went ahead and called back in using a phone this time, so I'm going to try to bring them on and see if they can clarify their earlier question. You're on the air. Okay, great. Um, the question I had, um, I'll just refresh it. I was asking about what some behaviorists call functional variability, meaning that the operant is determined by environmental contingencies. But no, by many different factors. And if you tell me what kind of contingencies right. you're talking about, maybe I can right. answer them. Right. I I'm can't giving, well, I'm, the general I'm giving an example. Yeah. So um, environmental contingencies like a right lever being pressed by a rat. So the operant is determined the rat's going to press a lever, but the specific response is seems to be variable within the class of pressing the lever. So do you think variability is also controlled within this operant, the way no. the rat presses the lever? I do not think that. I can tell you, in re-entry sometimes of a space vehicle, the tiles become loose and they become very hot. Are you familiar with that? The tiles I don't know. of re-entry vehicle. So what we do is we have a probe that sticks out in front and discharges electrons, DC current, and causes the air molecules to move apart so you don't get that much heating. In other words, right. you can take an existing system and limitation and extend it so you don't have those problems in the first place. Did you hear the question? I don't know if yeah, I think he's still talking about behavior, Jock. Go ahead and finish, caller. 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure if Roxanne heard me a little clearer, but what I was getting at was it seems that class, classes of behaviors are determined. Like, I'm going to walk through the door, I'm going to open the door, and that class is determined. But the specific way I open the door to get inside of the room seems to vary every single time I do it in little ways. Do you think that's relevant at all, those no. variabilities of the operant? No, I don't think so. I, I, I imagine if you got hurt with it, it might. Yeah. No, yeah. I would design doors that slide open so you wouldn't have to open them. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Of working with the limitations that exist has nothing to do with anything. If you can improvise, say, if you keep the air pressure in an ordinary house above, say, 17 pounds of the square foot, you can keep most dust from entering the building. All you have to yeah. do is increase the air pressure slightly. He was talking about behaviorism and operant behavior and changing oh, the variables. And no, we change the environment, and the environment in turn changes human behavior. Psychologists work on people. They're working ass backwards. It's the environment that shapes the culture, not the people. You don't work on the people. You change the environment so it doesn't produce aberrant behavior. But he was talking about... Just how much all the variables um, react on a person's behavior. Within we don't the need that. We need we need control of the education system and the environmental design so it doesn't produce race prejudice, bigotry, greed, all the things. Every bit of bit on human behavior, including the facial expressions, are picked up from the environment. So we work on the environment and change human values. But if, if you put new old people into a new city, they'll bring with them the old reactions and the old environment. Did that answer okay. your call, uh, question, caller? I think, I think so, about. yeah. Thank you. Go ahead, Roxanne. Roxanne you, can, you can design that out. Okay. You can design out certain so types of behavior. If I spoke Chinese only, if I were brought up in China as a baby, I would speak Chinese. If I was brought up in France, I'd say La Tour de France instead of Eiffel Tower. So everything you pick up is environmentally determined. So we work only on the environment. Yeah, I think, and I think what Roxanne was saying uh, seemed to get at the specific question I was getting at, and John's answer was was much further, and I think that's a good thing. I, th I think that's answered my my question. The little variability doesn't seem too relevant. Uh, are, you, are you referring to the work of B.F. Skinner? Yeah, it's on the yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm studying someone who, who worked with me. I yeah. talked to B.F. Skinner on the phone many years ago. And uh, he said he did not have enough information to know the answers to questions I was asking him. So I can only refer to that. Now, B.F. Skinner did certain work that was absolutely important. However, yeah. Yeah. Uh, other psychologists that were more romantic, like Carl Rogers, who uh, got in a debate with Skinner. Are you familiar with that debate? The Carl Rogers um, I know I know Carl Rogers and I know his work, but I don't know the specific debate. 
Well, Carl Rogers is more of a romantic. Skinner is more yeah. of an opera behavior student who studies the bits of information that shape human behavior. But yeah. he did not know precisely what to do to make people free of jealousy, envy, rage. He knew they were environmentally induced, but did not know specifically what to do to modify it. Okay. Um, there was another question here. Uh, this one's also kind of along the same lines of like kind of one of the earlier sad questions, but basically, uh, what if something happens to you and to Roxanne? I mean, the two of you travel together. You know, is there somebody else in line? Then there's Joel and Larry and, and you can Andrew, take it. You know, Andrew, we're, we're forming, Andrew Buxton yeah, in England. We're forming groups now directly with us, so... In case I kicked a bucket. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we're making sure whatever we have here will be put into people's hands who can use it wisely. Well, I'm actually I'm honored that you said that I could be part of that. That's inter that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'd be happy to help them if that ever happens. I just let's let's not let that happen for a while. I think we'd kind of like to keep you guys around. So um, <laughs> now those that question out of the way. Uh, there's somebody here asking, did you have any influence on the original Epcot Center at Disneyland? Well, I brought the idea over Disney Studios ten years before he built it. And they said, wait in the office, we'll submit it to Walt Disney. And they submitted it, and they gave it back to me and said, he's not interested. And there's nothing I can do about that. I'm just telling you what happened. I brought many ideas to industry, which they used. I never got paid for it. I just got a fixed salary. Right. Um, now, you also worked in the film industry, and there were people who, I mean, I want to make sure, because I've said this, and I want to be sure I was right, but... Um, in the original Star Trek, Earth basically is a resource-based economy, and I had heard that um, you had been consulted by different movie people okay. and things like that about the future. Well, there is a guy named Fari Ackerman. He died recently, and he was Mr. Science Fiction. He coined the word I worked with him, and he had me address science fiction writers 55, 60 years ago, and I addressed him on the future what the possible shapes of the future would be, what the values might be. Because science fiction writers always showed the same values or very similar values in the future. I said, you're changing the people's looks and environment, but you're not changing the value system. It's just like technology is growing, but we still have old values. We still have superstitions and myths that people believe in. We haven't changed in that area enough. Our major changes are in electronics and machine technology, mass production. Right. Um, I remember actually coming across a, uh, a film that I guess you had part in making the models for. I'm forgetting the name of it, though, but it was... Yes, it's called Project Moonbase. That's right. The original story, but the producer said, nobody knows who you are. We couldn't get money from the banks. So they got Robert Heinlein to write the story. And it was about a Russian spy sneaking through the spaceship. Real chaotic horseshit. But I have no control over that. But Jack did all the special effects and the models and things. Most of the special effects. Of the space stations and the joining up of the space stations. I was a special effects consultant 
and modeled on it for that film. Now, let me see. Uh, I also worked with George Powell on, on uh, I think it was called Project Moon. Was it, called? Um, it was about the, the photographer. First, first Voyage to the Moon. Mm. I met George Powell through Forrest J. Ackerman. And I've talked to him <laughs> for weeks. And I've talked to many science fiction writers to try to give them better concepts of the future. To try to give them not just the shape of buildings and things, but the value system. They never touch that. The value systems of the future be very different than ours, or we won't survive. Right. Um, let me see. Yeah, okay, we talked about the films. Okay, I guess then the question then, I guess, if you addressed a lot of science fiction writers, then um, I don't know if you ever knew Gene Roddenberry specifically, the guy behind Star um, Trek. Gene Roddenberry used to attend lecture, lectures and meetings of the, of the science fiction writers, Ray Bradbury, and all those guys were there. And I, when I addressed them, I addressed them on the behavior of the future and design of the future, but I did not give them specific details of how buildings are made, because that would be a patented project. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. I understand completely. Um, all right. Now, let me see. I also developed daylight movie screens. It's called Scotch Light today. You know what Scotch Light is? Glass beads that reflect automobiles on highways. I made the first movie screen of, of glass beads. In, in, with high reflectivity so you can start your movies before the sun actually goes down but I had a visor box in front of the movie screen I developed a lot of different things many, many different types of things you did the original jet ski too which has really gotten popular first jet ski now. Yes. Mm. You, did, you did boats that used to win speed boats, right? yeah, for Lewis, Lewis Nuda who entered in the national boot, boat race, and he told me he won the races with my designs. But you got to remember that I never did those things because I wanted to. I did that because I got paid, and I go back to the lab and work with what I wanted to work on. I only turned out commercial products to get money to go back to work on what I wanted to work on. I could not work on what I wanted to work on. I not, couldn't afford to unless I just turned out conventional products. I'm not trying to say all this to say, look how much Jacques done. I'm trying to say it because there's a lot of people out there now. We're getting a lot of emails saying that, you know, it's that Jacques took all these things, he just read other people's things, and he combined them. There's nothing like it anywhere. Show me drawings that compare to what I propose. Well, I, I think they get... They take that from the idea that, that how you talk about invention... Well, they don't being, understand it. That there's no person who invents anything. Well, I said that all development is serially developed. A person takes an idea so far, and that example of that was this guy that made the wings that jumped off the Eiffel Tower and died. And his brother said, make wings larger next time. And I said that people never make a mistake in their life. They just don't know. You don't know how large to make wings on your first airplane. You don't know how big a propeller has to be unless you go through all the errors to arrive at. See, today people make decisions. In the future, they arrive at decisions. 
That's quite different than making decisions. People do do the the work along the way to arrive at those things, so that's what's missing. Yes. You know? But they don't know where they got their base from. I got my city idea from a gear. I was sitting down looking at a gear, a, a particular kind of gear, and I said, gee, that would make a good design for a city. And then I studied it further to see what it would cost to do and what the advantages would be and see if I could modify it. It didn't look like a gear when I got through with it. It looked like a functional unit that did a specific job of taking care of people safely, transporting them, and serving the function of all the community. Now, we've actually, this is an interesting point because this has been brought up recently uh, and they're talking about, you know, Ray Kurzweil and the singularity. Um, now, there are people who have surmised that that means that eventually machines are going to take over people and rewrite their DNA. And I keep emphasizing to them that we're all about free choice and things of that nature. Do you want to comment on that? I, you hear what I said? I disagree with that, and I'm going to tell you where I disagree. Okay. Machines, no matter how well they're designed, have no feelings. They don't feel hungry, resentment, ambition. Although I can make a machine that can weep when you talk to it and look like a real human being, but it will not feel anything. And machines do not want to take over. They will be assigned tasks. Let me put it your way. Uh, when I was a kid, a man would look out of an airplane and guess how high he was. Today, with Doppler radar, it tells you exactly how high you are off the ground. So the pilot didn't take over. It was assigned positions in military aircraft. So Doppler radar makes decisions that man cannot make. About 12 years ago, there were machines that can handle 1,000 trillion bits of information per second. No humans can do that. So when I say the government of the future will be a machine government, I mean that humans cannot handle all these variables coming in every day. So machines will be assigned these tasks. It's not a machine takeover. I repeat that. It's not a machine takeover. Machines turn out bottled fluids because they can inject into the bottle much faster than any human being can. So they're assigned the product of mass production. Do you understand the difference? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and and the, the Never was a machine takeover. Right. The issue was that you've talked about, you know, I think what the problem was is, you you know, we discussed the fact that in the future people are going to want to enhance themselves. They might want cybernetic parts to replace limbs or, you know, things like that. And this guy got it in his head that eventually machines were going to, like, replace our brains. You well, know, they will replace government. Right. Because government can't handle all that. There's so much to know that they talk of decentralization because... The state of Florida doesn't know what's going on in the state of Washington. And they don't know what's going on in Virginia. So they decentralize. But in the future, with computer extensors into all areas, transportation, agriculture, they can make appropriate decisions. But eventually, it wouldn't be mechanical replacements. It would be... Electronic. There would be um, physical, like um, making hearts, building hearts out of... Out of um, flesh and blood. Yeah, people. materials that were were physical materials. Not, I mean, not just. Um, you know, the word I'm thinking of. Yeah, they wouldn't be mechanical. That's what I already said. But um, 
it would be more natural materials that would fit in with the body. When you teach medical students that the wonderful human body, how wonderful the human body is, you're only talking of your own limitations. If the human body were better designed, there were just two holes instead of a nose sticking forward. The two holes would move upward. This way, when you fall, you smash the cartilage. You don't teach people that the human body is perfect. You say these are the limitations. You always look for limitations. If you uphold a particular thing, like the covered wagon, you'd never move beyond it. Right. Now, another question about Kurzweil was, I guess, do you agree with the idea that humans will be living in, like, virtual environments in 50 years? I guess he means, like, you know, computer-generated uh, holograms, things like that. The only thing I don't like about Kurzweil is that he doesn't touch the system. Mm-hmm. That creates the problems. He doesn't touch the monetary system. He doesn't touch Plains politics as being an old-fashioned way of attempting to manage human affairs. He never talked of the intelligent management of the Earth's resources for the benefit of people. Most of these guys are sensational seekers that really don't, are really not social. They don't give a damn about people. They write about the future, but never touch anything sensitive. They've never been social. H.G. Wells was very disappointed when he died. What was he disappointed in? He thought the world would be further along. Actually, he was disappointed in his own projections. I don't know how far man will go. I don't know whether he will advance to those conditions or maybe destroy the environment first or kill each other. I think Nobody people, knows that. I think people have been living in a virtual world for a long time when they look at the world in relation to religion. And that's how they assess the world around them with stories that are not related to the real world at all. They already live in a virtual world. Now, um, there's another, I guess this is another exemplar zero question that keeps coming up here. Um, And I guess there were people that were concerned that, you know, they were going to be funding you guys. And I know we've we've been over that a a few times already. But um, if, for example, they asked to fund a Venus project in Mongolia, this is the suggestion um would you guys agree to go along with that i couldn't really say we'd have to look at all aspects of what they want from us what they're promoting what what you know how how much participation they want with our direction nothing's that clear and cut and dry there'd have to be a lot of preparation and an understanding of what they want people keep asking me if i can design a city for their country I have to go there, do a survey, see if the land is level, are there volcanic eruptions there, are there tsunamis? I'd have to know a lot about that. And before I design a city, I would study the negative retroaction. How far is the city from sources of metal? How far is the city from concrete? In other words, if I were asked to do it in Siam, which has the largest supply of concrete, I would know more about it. So I would have to study the system, not just design the city. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, right. And, oh, absolutely. And I, I think into commenting on what Roxanne is talking about is, like, when they saw this exemplar video, zero video that the trolls put together, a lot of people went out and tried to do some research, and they said that there were some things about it that they found uh, disquieting. I guess what I would suggest to them is to provide that information to you guys, and then you can make your own decisions about it. But... 
Um, you have to remember, we still have a lot of conspiracy theory-oriented people who are quick to jump to conclusions, especially when they're upset. <laughs> I don't buy that conspiracy theory. Right. I, now, told, I told Peter Joseph to drop it. It's too much of a problem generator. No, he was talking about other people doing conspiracy theory with, with the... Well, there have been group. some. The Bay of Tonkin was staged. There, uh, according to the book called The Secrets of Pearl Harbor, uh, Admiral Halsey indicated how we might have gotten the Japanese to make an attempt at bombing Pearl Harbor. There are many different things to prove that our government is not completely ethical or honest with the public. But I don't know that it was a conspiracy theory that caused the planes to fly into the tower. What, what I wonder about is what made people so full of hatred? What have we done to them that made them want to fly into the tower? I would like to know more about their background and why they hated us and why they wanted to destroy us, not just hate them back. I'd have to know why or how. You know, in America, you have the right to face your accuser. If somebody accuses you of something, in a court of law, you can face your accuser. When we get mad at another nation, I want to hear their reasons for why they want to destroy us. I want to know what they feel the disadvantage. Now, according to, to them, they, you know, we've been killing people and hurting people for years. I'm sure you've heard confessions of an economic hitman. Absolutely. So I wouldn't put it past. Our country is neither good nor bad. It's terrible. And that goes for all other countries. They're all lousy. They don't know what to do. They don't use scientific scales of performance. They use the opinions of totally unqualified people. Now, I think one of the things that I've tried to tell people about the issues of conspiracy theories in particular is that even if Okay, so even if 9-11 was perpetrated by a bunch of angry Arabic people who are tired of being bombed and sanctioned and intervened with, just like the economic hitman pointed out, or even if it was orchestrated by an evil government intent on giving, getting excuses to invade other countries and take their resources, both of these things are just symptoms of the greater problem. And the Venus Project will solve those problems. A resource-based economy would eliminate those problems. And concentrating forever on conspiracy theories just polarizes the issue, and then nobody wants to listen to you anymore. There are plenty of people who believe, you know, who don't believe in conspiracy theories who would still value a resource-based economy, and that's yes. why I tell them to put that crap aside. Yes, if you if you write me about things you don't understand, I will not give you specific inventions, but I'll tell you generally how we hope to deal with those problems. Now, what kind of films do you suggest during the transition to change people? What kind of films? Mm -hmm. The two films on how uh, different people brought up in different countries. For example, I used to do a lot of work like that. I used to play records and ask people to tell me the person speaking on the record. It was a black guy raised in England, spoke with an Oxford accent. And the southerner, member of the clan said, my God, how can that guy speak like an Englishman? I said, of course, he's brought up in England. If you take a black guy and bring him up in China, he will speak and act like a Chinaman. If you brought him up with a Chinese family. So we, when I say we reflect our culture, I mean, if you ask an Eskimo, if you say to an Eskimo, you can have anything you want, what do you want? If he's never traveled, the Eskimo would say, would never ask for a twin engine beach craft. 
for a stainless steel refrigerator. Do you understand that? Yep. What kind of films would you make? Yeah, but would, what kind of films would you make to try to help people that, understand that, the system? That kind of film that I just described, how an Eskimo would react to a wide range of choices that he has no experience in. He will only make the choices. If you would ask, him, ask an Eskimo what heaven is like, he might say there's plenty of seals and no shortage of seals. If you ask an American Indian what, what could heaven be like, he say it would be a happy hunting ground with lots of animals and no scarcity of animals. Because he cannot picture any other kind of heaven due to the way he was brought up. But if you took a Seminole Indian, sent him to our schools, he'd have a different picture of heaven. Do you understand that? The yep. films would be designed to meet the dominant values of this culture and show them how people are made to be serial killers, how they're made to be thieves. The difference between a thief and a, and a priest is the environment they were raised in. If you don't understand that, parents take their children away from people that they feel are a bad influence. Even they understand that, but they think it's inborn. They think that greed and hoarding and jealousy and nature are inborn in people. No, it's not. And we hope to make films showing how jealousy is made, how envy is made. If you come to my house and I have a baby grand piano and you'd like one for your daughter, you might envy me. But if you can get anything I have, you don't envy anymore. Do you understand that? Yep. Envy is a byproduct of scarcity. All right, folks. Um, for those of you asking me questions, I'm not trying to ignore you. This thing is scrolling by very quickly, and I'm engaged in multiple conversations as I am during every radio show, along with maintaining all of the aspects of uh, keeping the, you know, the system clear, things of that nature. Um, Jonathan, I I just asked your question about what kinds of films should be done in the transition. Was there another question I'm missing? Films that show how. I was talking to them. Now, do you have any ideas or theoretical models on how a transition can happen peacefully? Yes, I do. By making a major motion picture will help the transition. But the transition will be painful, full of murders, assassinations, riots. All this is up ahead. We have to go through that. I do not advocate that. I'm saying that the people that don't get finance while they're unemployed will riot. They will occupy buildings, break windows, and take things they need, unless you deal with those problems. I can't control that. I'm not in charge. People always say, how will you affect the transition? I'm not in charge of that. The main thing is to we get enough no information power. across, get these ideas to as many people as you can through many different films. And that will make the transition less painful. Yeah, if That's they know all. about something else. That's something that I've told people is like, for example, I, I tend to cater what film I'm showing people when I want to show them the resource-based economy. Like if I'm talking to a scientist, I actually usually use your, your older film, Welcome to the Future, because, you know, Zeitgeist Addendum might, might not appeal to them, you know, just as an example. Um, you know, it depends on the person I'm talking to. You have to kind of weigh, you know, that's how it's going to relate to them. That's why I say you can't talk to people. You talk at them unless they have parallel backgrounds. If a physicist or a doctor says to a woman, your husband has cancer of the fifth lumbar, she doesn't know what the hell he's talking about unless he points to a diagram. So people can't talk to each other. They can only infer what they think you mean. 
But when they see films on the Venus Project, I show them specific city designs and specific methods of the distribution center, how people access materials. We want to show all that in, in an entertaining way in our film, actually living in the resource-based economy. Have you considered writing a book about your experiences with the natives, the islanders? No, all those things take a long time to do. So I would rather make immediate short films on various questions people write us and ask. No, I mean in that particular instance that you're talking about. Yes, we do have we do have books that we have not published, and we do have documents that that we are taking the the script from too. And we, we do have a lot of those stories written down. And the world will be one script. But that would be in the motion picture. Yeah, we're using them for that. So your experience with the natives in the, the Pacific Islands will are part of the film? Yes. We have a lot of flashbacks as to how we arrived, Jack arrived at these decisions that are significant so people can understand certain aspects of it in a different way. Right. Okay, um... Well, let me see here. Uh, see, we looked at the communism issue, blah, blah, blah. Um, would the Venus Project participate in an alternate version of the G20 summit? I don't even know what they mean, but... I don't either know what you're talking about, an alternate version. Well, if I presented the Venus Project to the average person, it would take several months to get all the detail across because when I use the word overall design and planning, he says, well, isn't that a sort of a technical elite? There's always a technical elite. When you go to work for any industry, you walk right into a dictatorship. When you punch a time clock, the boss doesn't say, what would you like to do? He tells you what to do. Any system is a dictatorship. When you bring your child up as a Lutheran or a Catholic or a Seventh-day Adventist, that's all under the dictates of the values of the person that raises the children. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. There's never been a free society. Now, is it possible then, obviously, I mean, we talk about a global implementation, but what if people want to continue to practice a capitalist lifestyle in their own communities who have not agreed to join with us? Now, we talked about this a little bit in the Venus Project when I was down there with you guys, and obviously we don't force anybody into our way of way of to answer that. Mm-hmm. All industry is automating slowly, according to the book End of Work by Ralph Nader. No, Jeremy Rifkin. Jeremy Rifkin, right. He wrote the book called uh, End of Work. And mm-hmm. in that book, he gives you statistical data of industry automated machines. And, and if they keep doing old. that, yeah. If they keep doing that, people will not have the purchasing power if they get laid off to buy the products turned out. So the system comes to an end regardless of what the Venus Project says. It doesn't take the Venus Project to change this society. No society can lock on and hang on to its system. The society that cannot make the adjustments toward the future will be surpassed by other societies that can the standard of living would be so much higher within a resource-based economy. I don't know why anyone would want to struggle with the system, working within the system of the monetary system. That's, yeah, I kind of try to get across, uh, get that across to them, and I, 
I don't think they understand about this, and I've talked about this in the past, because they always assume, you know, because we talk about sharing, we must therefore be communists, and therefore we must be violent, and we're going to want to take everything from everybody, because they're they're well, having that, a classic argument with communists and socialists that doesn't even apply to us. And I'm trying to tell them where I got the idea from. I got the idea from the human body. You know that story? The brain says, I do all the thinking, I want all the nutrients. Yep. And the lungs would say, if I don't oxygenate the blood, you die. So the brain says, what do you need? Everything you need. So every organ of the human body gets whatever it needs to function. That's where I got the idea. Not from communists or socialists. Right. Well, that was it was also the issue that we kind of tried to point across them is that our, our approach is to demonstrate that our ideas work through the force of logic. We don't have to force anybody to do this. If we can demonstrate what we're doing, they'll want to do it on their own. Neil, if you had a free enterprise system within the human body, you'd live about four hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Every but organ for itself. The analogy that I usually use, um, actually, ironically, Doug Millett brought this up, too, is that, like, when you're on a spaceship, you're in a resource-based economy. There's no, you, you don't set up a store when you're on a spaceship, at least not right now, you know, and, like, when you go up into, the, you know, into space, if we built a moon base, it would be a resource-based economy. You know, if we built a Mars base, it would be a resource-based economy. There's no opinions involved in who gets what resources. You distribute them in a way that is efficient because you don't have any choice. And as we continue to destroy our planet and it gets smaller and smaller, we get closer and closer to the spaceship analogy. Right. And if either we make it or we'll blow each other's smithereens. And the chances are the type of people in government don't have any answers. And they're making more and more weapons. We're spending a great deal of our gross national income on weapons. That's the same for other countries. They, they train soldiers to be killing machines. I told you I would send them back to school to become problem solvers. They'd also have to have a change in value system, too, along with going to Mars. Right. You know, and just sharing resources. I think the point that Doug was trying to get across was that you're, when you're in a limited resource situation, which we are, I think most capitalists tend to try to pretend that isn't true. Um, but like you know, Michael Rupert said, all of these other systems were designed socialism, capitalism, and all that were designed with the assumption of infinite resources. And as we start to realize that that's just not practical, that's why Doug brought up the, the moon base or Mars base example. You can't argue with it. It doesn't matter how much Ayn Rand you read, and it doesn't matter how libertarian you think you are. You can't demand six apples if there's only five apples on the station, period. You mean, what do you do when there's a shortage? Well, we, we can talk about that, too. Go ahead. Um Actually, we have a central area. <clears throat> the people that manufacture lawnmowers would like to sell lawnmowers to every home. They would like to sell refrigerators and kitchen units to every home. What we do is we make vast dining centers. It's much cheaper to deliver food to centers where they cook all kinds of food. So you can go to a dining area and eat whatever you want. It's stupid to have millions of people making the same thing, bacon and eggs every morning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, right. That's the way you can serve things. That's the way you get more things to more people. You've got to also recall this example. When you have normal people drive to work, their automobile sits outside for eight hours as long as they're on the job. And the automobile doesn't need rest. When people come out, when you have continuous 
of production night and day. The factories don't close at 5 o'clock. So people come out and take those automobiles and go home. Then other people take the cars. They're always in motion. You don't have freight trains and freight yards hoping that next year you'll have big, better business and the freight trains will be working. Or trucks and truck yards. All trucks work all the time in a resource-based economy. Trains don't need a rest. Automobiles don't need to rest for eight hours. The whole system is, is warped. That's why you have scarcity. That's usually what I tell people, which is um, basically that you know they can continue their trade and barter if they think that's what they need to do, but it, it's not a matter of telling them that they can't. It's a matter of making it obsolete and pointless. You know, yeah. it's... Well, well, the, U, the U.S., United States tried to block Germany from getting rubber from Sumatra. So the Germans invented synthetic rubber. See, they had enough technicians to deal with the problems. I'm not upholding Germany, by the way. I'm just saying that if you have technicians and give them assignments other than weapons, make weapons of mass destruction, radio-controlled missiles, that's working in the wrong direction. Solving problems for undeveloped countries would be more challenging and interesting. So I think that technicians would rather do that if they knew about it. They're not trained in that. They're trained as patriotic engineers, and they try to take care of America. In Germany, the patriotic engineers try to take care of Germany. And that's what the problem is. Changing the basic assumptions that people make and the basic kind of education they get, which is abnormal. Now, another question here. What are the requirements for organizations if they want to fund the Venus Project? How are they going to ensure Jock's designs would not be patented by funders or builders for profit or stop development? Well, I won't design a city unless they agree to join with other cities. So basically, the people in question at that point need to basically be of the right value structure in the first place. Yes. Right. Okay. That's a good answer. Hey, come here. They do ask me to do that. I say, are you familiar with the Venus Project? Well, if they're not... I go into it. Well, they'll say, yes, I am. That's why I'm here. You know, Jacques had a lot of people come to him over the years and want him to design an, a, kind of an environment or a little town or, or yeah, with a wall around it for wealthy people so they can protect themselves as things start to crash, and he won't do that. He said they'll send things over your wall. They're smarter these days if there's a lot of scarcity out there, if the conditions are so bad. People ask me if we develop a little cooperative community, say of 10,000 people, or 5,000 people, uh, can we do that? Here's what's the matter with that. If you develop a small, sustainable society, if you do that, and millions of people are out of work and have no food, they will invade your community. Do you understand that? Yes. You can no longer live to yourself. Either you face the problems of taking care of all the world's people, by joining together and sharing the resources of the earth, anything less than that will produce the same problems over and over again. I usually use the example brought up in the Mad Max film where there was a group of people who had their own little community going with an oil rig of their own and everything, and eventually somebody showed up and said, you're going to give it to us. You know, it's it's in a post-apocalyptic circumstance, we're trying to raise everybody's awareness to sustainability rather than just trying to build a little island and not expecting ourselves to get invaded. Right. 
Um, we that, don't have separate nations. We don't go to another nation to milk it or take its cheap labor. We go to bring them and invite them in to share the Earth's resources. But let's say a country like Venezuela doesn't have enough technicians. Sweden has a lot of technicians, but not enough resources. So we will begin to share ideas and promote technicians in areas where there's environmental scarcity, like Mexico may not have enough scientists to harness the wind and other power. We have that kind of talent all over the world. We have to make it available all over the world. Do you understand that? Yep, absolutely. Um, What do you think about technical determinism? Does technology determine society or does society determine technology? Well, it's kind of a... If if people say, well, the electric light, the airplane will never happen, some other country will develop it, and we'll be behind. Right now, we're falling behind China in many areas. China's working on air cleaning systems, putting up more funds for fixing up the environment and generating more electric power, where our infrastructure is breaking down and rusting, not according to me, according to recent publications. But if we don't see that, we will become a have-not nation. That's Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because somebody else was asking what you thought of the current developments in China, and do you see China becoming the next superpower? No, not necessarily, because they depend on the monetary system. See, the monetary system in China will eventually move toward automation. And if millions of Chinese are not cared for, they will tear the government to pieces. Yep, that uh, that is definitely the case of a huge limit there, but go ahead. You must include all nations, and you must take care of human need. If you don't, you're going to have kickbacks. Let me see. Um, looking at different questions. Let me see. Uh, all right, well, let's see if there's anything different here, but... Um, Money, China, we talked about China. Um, What is existence? What theory seems to him the most plausible one? Big bang, big bounce. I guess the theories of like uh, how the universe started, is there one that you think is most plausible? I don't believe that anything started. I believe all things change. They got a concept now, which is metaphysical to me, the big bang theory. The Big Bang, what was it the day before the Big Bang? Nothing? I take, uh, Here's my general belief. If you took a steel ball, say 10 inches in diameter, and heated it to 20 million degrees, it would turn to radiant energy. That matter cannot be created or destroyed. It undergoes continuous change. That the universe and life forms may have been brought here by meteors. I don't believe that life started... I don't believe that that a seed is the beginning of the plant. They tell you that in school. A seed is the beginning of a plant. It could be the end product of a plant. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, Some scientist came here and says, we have eyes to see with. I said, you really believe that? He said, yes. So I took him in a dark room and said, see. He said, turn the light on. You can't see with your eyes. You can only see if there's light. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. You try to tell me that everything on the human body was there for a purpose. Then what's the purpose of coughing and sneezing? 
to infect other people and launch bacteria at other people? Don't you see? If you try to look for purpose, if you look for purpose in all areas, it becomes ridiculous. They say, some people say to me, I'm a nature lover. Well, what does that mean? Did you love hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes? All that's natural. No one is a nature lover. We like certain things about nature. Nor do we love other people or ourselves. We like certain things about them. Don't tell me what's important. I know. I can't can't say what's important to everybody. I can only say there are different ways of thinking about things. And the Venus Project brings up many different examples and different people respond to different examples. The same example does not affect everybody in the same way. That's why you have to talk to people on different levels and different examples until they say, gee, I see that. Okay. Um, did you have more? Go ahead. Otherwise, what? I can ask another question. It's up to you. Yes. Um, well, this question, I guess, is more about, I guess you worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is interesting because I used to live right next to it. My brother it's worked there. The Buck Rogers Department. Right. Did you ever see any unusual aircraft that they were testing around that time? Did I see what? Unusual yeah. aircraft at that time. Like a test I saw aircraft. all kinds of aircraft. But Patterson Field was nearby, and that's where they did most of the aircraft. The chief test pilot at Wright Field was Perry Ritchie, and I talked to him about this, and he loved everything about it. He said, but don't talk to other officers unless I'm around to protect me. So I did that, and I turned a lot of officers around, and they began to understand that military systems were a crude way to solve problems. But if officers ask me a question, I said, only if I give one hour. Give me one hour to explain it. But I can't do it in seconds, turn you around. Let me see. Do you understand that? Oh, yeah, totally. I get it. Um, Especially something complicated. If I got into a debate in church with a Catholic priest, we both had one hour, he would win. Mm -hmm. Do you understand that? Yes. Because the congregation has been brought up to those value systems, whereas a new idea needs ten hours against your one hour. Because you're dealing with new things. It requires rethinking the way you were brought up. But I do that when when people come here on the tour. I show them that if you were brought up in Italy, you'd speak with your hands, you'd think like an Italian, you'd say Managgio d'Americano, you'd say all that, all those things. You have no, there's no such thing as an individual. All that is BS, bad science. (laughs) How would we ensure care for the elderly and disabled people in an RBE? By designing systems to provide abundance for all people, designing faster ways of turning out houses and how to grow food hydroponically under the sea, working on new methods of pro- to provide for human need. We don't have enough in the old methods for taking care of those problems. Is there any specific designs you can like that would be involved with taking care of elderly and handicapped people? Yes. In other words, if they're too old to rotate in bed, they get bed sores. You know what that is? Yes. You can't move. 
but the bed would tilt and turn and roll them over gently so they don't get the bed sores. And if they have to defecate and they're heavy and can hardly move, it's tough on the nurses. So the central portion of the bed has a core that lifts out so they can defecate without having to take them to the washroom. Right. Do you um, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, this, this I pretty much already knew most of this stuff. I'm just asking it for the benefit of the audience who's asking. I, I can say this when you ask me a question. Gee, I wish I knew the answer to that. That would make me feel more like a human being to them. But if you got the answer, then what the hell is this guy? A know-it-all? They get mad at that rather than attack uh, the system. You can't make a bed like that or so. How much will it cost to make? That is the question they ask today. How much will it cost to build your new cities? The question is wrong. Do we have the resources to house everyone on Earth? Yes, we do. We have more than enough resources. That's the answer. Not how much will it cost. Does a city have to be round, or can there be alternate versions? Uh, there can be some alternate versions. Not all my cities are round. It's more it's, efficient. It's just more efficient. Conserves materials. We only design one-eighth of the system and reproduce it instead of have each architect designing every building. And all the windows, if you look at New York City, they're made by different glass companies. You can't house everybody designing every building differently. Now, if you've got a Chevy, all Chevys look alike. All Fords look alike. All Mercedes look alike. But we can make them independent and different. It would cost you a half a million dollars apiece if you made every car different. You can't maintain price unless you design mass, mass production methods with uniform components. So all the windows will be the best we know how to turn out. They'll be photoelectric generators, not just windows. And they'll go dark when the sun gets bright. That's the best we know of. That's what we'll use. Do you think that people will... Go ahead. Uh, no, no, if, if, go ahead and finish if you needed to. If you, if you don't standardize, you can't house the world. You can't feed the world. But if you standardize your farms and agriculture to the best state of technology you have and revise it every year, because you can't do it every three months. Every time a person comes up with a new idea, you can't change your society. But you can make flexible materials that go together in a certain way, and then they disassemble in similar ways. So you don't have to crash the buildings down or blow them up. You can de-engage de de them. Do you know what I mean by that? The way they lock together, you can design them to be disengaged and alternative structures can be assembled. We design components that can be put together in many different ways. That's true on the inside, too. You can uh, take things out of the wall and shove in an updated unit for different electronics or updated systems. You don't, you don't need don't to tear it, the building apart. Yeah, you don't make it permanent. You make things so they can be changed. Even the walls can be changed and moved. The color, too, of the building. Well, if a person doesn't like a certain color, they can turn a dial. That can be done with very tiny glass beads using the prism effect of the primary colors. So if you don't like a building's color, you change it. If that's personal preferences. I don't think people will pay much attention to that in the future. Today they build houses to impress people with a circular balcony all around, not for use, 
what we do is a survey of the person moving in. We say, what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? If the guy's main hobby is anthropology, we give him a DVD collection of anthropology. We give him whatever he wants because the more the house conforms to individual need, the more creative people will be. But if you try to make all houses the same, all interiors the same, they keep asking me, asking me this. Will people be alike in the Venus Project? They will in certain areas. They'll all be against hurting other people. They'll all be non-racist. They will all take care of the environment and love to take care of the environment. And they will all extend maximum courtesy to Japanese, blacks, Afro-Americans, all kinds of people. There'll be no race prejudice. So they'll be alike in those areas. And I think there's nothing wrong with being alike in sane areas. Yeah, I agree with you there for sure. Now, uh, about the aging issue, do you think people will use technology to extend their lifespans? Yes, I do. I believe that not too many years into the Venus Project, we can extend life to 150 years or 200 years, but um, I don't think you will age much. In other words, a 70-year-old person might look like a 30-year-old person because we'll be able to maintain, keep the plaque out and design foods that are more appropriate. There'll be no artificial coloring or genetic splicing without long-term studies. Right. That would be, I guess, the the societal uh, consequences of people living so long would be an issue, too. I mean, obviously, there'd be a population question. Yes, the population is educated to the fact that a certain environment can support so many people. If you put more people there than the environment can support, you'll have argument, territorial disputes. You know, most of the main goals today have have a husband and or a wife and have children and a home in the country and another home and another in the city and that's the ideal and that's what people aim for. But in the future, there'd be so much to do. I don't think people would just want to have their goal as having children, the main goal that they put upon people today. Right, but educate people to a different set of values, and you have to provide many options. The more options, the less traditional behavior. But we don't advocate any form of uh, population reduction, like any kind of forced population reduction. We we move through education about the carrying capacity and let people make decisions. We educate people so that the decisions are more appropriate to the real world. To the resources that we have, so everybody can have a high standard of living. If you let the population keep exploding, the whole year, Earth will become a graveyard. But people would understand that in the future. How do you see the, um, or have you contemplated on what you think is going to happen in regards to the the collapse? How do you, the falling of the dominoes, so to speak? You mean the economic collapse? Yes. I see nothing but trouble, assassinations, riots, and I see the National Guard called out and the army to keep kids most of the trouble comes from younger people. You have to be in your house by 9 o'clock. That won't work for long. It'll only work for a limited amount of time. I see nothing but trouble during the transition. I do not advocate that. But you ask me what I really see, that's what I see. I don't see a smooth transition. The government saying, yes, 
resource-based economy is the best, and they install it. That's never happened in history. No government ever looked ahead and said, this is where we're going, this is what we have to do, except in the building of a bridge or something. They looked ahead. But they do not try to change their institutions to work for the benefit of everybody. Right. It's a selected few to try to gain control of the world's resources. And that's the industrial military complex that Eisenhower warned us about. You know what that is? Yep, yep, I know all about it. We talk about that constantly. (laughs) But apparently they didn't get it. They now are in a near position to control things to go their way. But it won't work. That's the wonderful thing about it. They're moving in the wrong direction. They're not basing their decisions on statistical data. They're just moving because they think the free enterprise system is the best system. Instead of saying it's the best system we know of up to now, but it's being surpassed. Now, the interdisciplinary teams proposed in the Venus Project um, proposals are not leaders in the normal sense. Could you explain that? Yes. If you're a graduate of a course in being a male nurse, then you're given a lot of younger students and you direct the younger students. The interdisciplinary team idea is not exactly correct, but it's always an upperclassman that instructs those in in the area that have come to learn. If you want to learn about electronics, you go to a school where guys have worked for IBM, they've worked on circuit design, automation, robotics, those are your teachers. Now, the teachers might be a team, but they go off into different directions with different students. If students want to specialize in robotics, some want to specialize in communication sciences, but they're always upperclassmen that work with a, a less informed. But no one dominates. They only dominate through that period by instructing people. If you want to fly an airplane, you have to go to an airport. You have to meet with a pilot who tells you what to do, what basics are, check your fuel, your tire pressure, make sure there's no water in the fuel. They give you a procedural system. And the procedural system is not arbitrary like politics. It's how to maintain the apparatus or how to deal with it. And that's all the instruction is in the future. You know, people are always so afraid of people leading but the aims are laid out, and this is what the direction of the society would be about, and the procedures would be carried out to meet those aims. The aims such as uh, no polluting, no hunger, no crime. You know, the Venus Project has laid out those aims that we want to do, and, and the, the people in the interdisciplinary teams are there to carry out certain aspects of that that they have knowledge in, you know, building a bridge or producing food, but they don't direct society. All right. When the government said, you scientists put a man on the moon, uh, the government knows they don't know how to do that. The only people who know how to do that are space scientists that study those things. So those scientists don't tell you what to eat or what to do. They just build spaceships. When you get a bunch of bridge engineers together, they don't tell you what to do. They build bridges. They say, how big a bridge do you want? How much traffic is it going to carry? And what kind of weight do you figure we have to design for? And how much have you appropriated to do those bridges? 
That determines what the bridge will be like. Because the scientists did not determine the building of the atom bomb. The government said, Germany is working on certain kinds of weapons. Can you guys do that? They said, well, if you back it, we can do it. Yes, we can do anything you want us to do. That's the trouble with the world. They do anything the government wants them to do. The scientists have no yet and large-scale social consciousness. Those scientists that do belong to an organization called Scientists for a Sane Nuclear Policy. You can't have that in a monetary system. It won't work. The scientists are naive because they never got anything they've ever advocated. In fact, the government diminished the Scientific Advisory Council. They, they try and approach it on an ethical yes. scale. Yeah. Ethics is was good a hundred years ago, but today you have to have know-how to solve problems, not hope that people learn to live in peace and harmony. That sounds good, and you can build a tremendous following by talking that way. You get specific, and you run into problems, because the public doesn't know enough about specifics to evaluate it. I don't know if you understand me now. Oh, no, I totally do. Um, okay. Now... This is an elaboration. We've only got three minutes left, but um, somebody asked about what the structure of the new activist Venus Project group will be like, and there will be obviously be a hierarchical structure involved with that. Could, I mean, have you guys thought about it? Do you have anything to elaborate on that, like just how the activist, the new activist organization for the Venus Project will function? Well, we're developing that as we go, too, but you can go to um, our website. I think it's under Get Involved Global Activism. Um, we, we want people to be as educated as possible first, and we'd be giving them different materials as, as to what this system is about, and there'll be lots of different activities that they can partake in. Okay. Well, that's a good answer. Um, well, we're down now to just a couple of minutes now. <laughs> I, I feel badly, but um, I guess, you know, Jock wanted to talk, so it was a good talk, and we got a lot of questions answered, but I, I remember telling you this was only going to be 15 minutes. <laughs> that's also what I told everybody else, but... We got a lot of good stuff covered, and I was, I'm always happy to talk to Jock, and you guys are always welcome to come on V Radio, and Jock can talk for hours. It's fine with me. So. Thanks, Neil. I've really tried to answer your questions as best I can. I think you did a great job, Jock. Um, and basically, uh, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Um, please visit my website, v- or v-radio.org. Um, there you can find archives of more shows like this one, including all of my past uh, interviews with Jock, other filmmakers, scientists, uh, activists. Um, in addition, you can check out my must-see TV list, my list of free movies you can watch on the Internet that are pertain to a lot of the things that we've been discussing on V-Radio. Um, I'm still working on getting Jeff Tester, the MIT uh professor who's a specialist on geothermal energy who's going to be coming up on a future episode and thank you everybody who's been supporting uh, v radio and don't forget to consider a donation to the uh, venus project film project which you can do at the venusproject.com um thanks again everybody say goodbye guys <laughs> thanks Neil. Goodbye. Bye -bye. thank you for the opportunity to answer these questions no problem thank you very much jock thanks Neil. bye-bye Take care. All right, folks, uh, that was it. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news about the issue with Peter. If you want to know what Peter's feelings on the matter are, they're the same as they were in the radio show. They haven't changed. He doesn't want to go any further with this. He's got new ideas for the Zeitgeist Movement. 
I get it. It's time that we move on. There's no reason you can't continue to work with the Venus Project and work with the Zeitgeist Movement. I'm doing it. You know, um, there are a lot of other people who are going to be doing that. So don't think of this as an end. It doesn't really factually change anything when you look at it. You know, they set down some rules about how they want their information presented, and that's really that's it. That's the only thing that's really different for us. So I'm gonna I'm planning to volunteer for both organizations just as I already have. V Radio is not going to change because I'm just going to be doing what I was doing anyway, which is promoting a lot of good ideas. Um, although I'm just Venus Project focused, I've never only put stuff out the Venus Project on. You guys have never tuned in to listen to everything. So thanks again, folks, for tuning in to V Radio.